got this excitement in my bones for this church and a, a lot of you can feel it already. It's almost as if that we are on the crest of something big. And Pastor Phil was just saying it and Pastor Phil was saying last week that it's not the time for passivity. This day we fight. This day we fight. And I honestly believe that this church is stepping into a whole new season. It's like a whole new level, a whole new level of favor, a whole new level of blessing and expanse and growth. And um, we as a church are part of that. And I couldn't be more excited. But what happened with passivity? It happens when we decide to say, enough with your present circumstances. God, I want more. God, I want to enter into that which you have for me. I remember when I was in high school, in year eight, and there was this guy, a guy in high school, bless the school. (laughs) This guy harassed me Tease me. I know, me. Why would you want to tease me? <laughs> Bullied me. Bossed me around. And I was... And here's the, here's the funny thing, and I kid you not, his name, I don't... He's probably head of a multinational corporation somewhere. But his name was Paul Bossy. <laughs> Paul Bossy, that was his name. But anyway, this would happen on every day and I'm just thinking, no, I don't want to go to school today. I'd have to put up with him. And anyway, the time came and I I just thought, I've had enough. And so the taunt started. Blah, 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 blah. I can't remember what it was. You know, blah, 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 blah. And I just felt this thing rising up on the inside of me. And I just thought, and here come that word again. Enough! And I basically got this guy and I pushed him as hard as I could. And he's like, and I grabbed him again and I pushed him and he, he kind of stumbled across the garbage bin. And I was about to clock him one and these two year 12 girls walked past and goes, hey, you boys, cut it out. And then the girl pointed at me. She says, we've had enough of you guys like that starting fights. I'm thinking, hey. <laughs> But you know what? I'll never forget the look in Paul Bossy's eyes. (laughs) It was almost he saw a lion in me. He saw a lion in me. And um, I just thought, wow, this is cool. I should be doing this more often. (laughs) But he saw the fact that I had said, enough! And I put my foot down. And I wasn't going to cop any more of it. And you know what? With many of us, we let the enemy come in and push us around. We let the enemy come in and, you know, curse us with sickness. We let the enemy come in and bring in division in our relationships and in our marriages. We let the enemy steal the blessing which should be ours. We go without nothing for so long. And the devil's like, yeah, this is great. This is how I like it. And God's like, when are you going to say enough? When are you going to put your foot down? And I believe 
I'm living out this message right now because I'm in the mode of enough. And I believe that as a church, when we get into that mode, we talked about that war mode. When you get into that war mode, things begin to happen. You begin to walk into that which God has for you. Amen. Now, I'm going to divide this message into two sections. The first section is why we fight. So, if you've got your Bibles, Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. There's a whole slab of scripture I was going to read, but I'm going to cut to the chase. Um, Judges chapter 2, let's read from verse 18. Verse 18, it says, Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was, the ju- he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to waves even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshipping them. He re- they refused to give up their e- evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated the covenant that I lay down for their forefathers and has not listened to me. Now listen to this. I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel to see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their forefathers did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. Now, chapter 3, verse 1. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. Now listen to this. It's in brackets, but I think this is a gem. It says, he did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. The five rulers of the Philistines and all the Canaanites, the Sidonians and the Hivites living in the Lebanon mountains, from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, whether he had given, which he had given their forefathers through Moses. Isn't that an amazing scripture? This blows me away. One of my passions that I love doing is discipleship. I think it's a great need in the body of Christ as far as discipling believers. You know, I mean, there's a big emphasis placed on get them saved, get them saved, get them saved. That's great. Hey, but we, we need discipleship because they stay saved when they're discipled. Now, one of the things I think Christians need to be taught um, early on in their Christian walk 
very important, is that they need to be taught how to fight. And I'm not talking, you know, Paul says we don't fight with flesh and blood. They need to be taught how to fight the enemy. Because one of the first things that happens is when they get saved, guess who comes along? The devil. And he pulls them down, fills them with guilt, rubs their face in the mud and says, how can you call yourself a Christian? We need to learn how to fight. We need to teach people how to fight. How to say, enough! And how to take a stand against the plans of the enemy. Jesus told the parable in the parable of the sower and he talked about the seed that was sown among the rocky ground. He said the seed in which was sown on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but when the time of testing comes, they quickly fall away. I think that's tragic. It's interesting that um, some people think that it's the devil's job to, to test. It's the devil's job to test. We all know it's the devil's job to tempt. And they also think it's the devil's job to test. But let me say this to you. The devil will come to tempt you, but God will come to test you. It's God's role to test you. Well, I think we really need to get a hold of that. Why does God test us? Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Now, God tests us not so much that he can reveal to himself what's in your heart. He already knows that. We know that. He tests us to reveal to us what's in our heart. I think that's very significant. David in Psalm 139 verse 23, 24, he says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's one of my most favorite psalms. I love that psalm. It's beautiful. God also tests us for his name's sake. This was an amazing revelation when I got it. Isaiah 48, verses 10 and 11. says, See, I have refined you, though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Who's been in the furnace of affliction? (laughs) All these hands. I know it. (laughs) I know it very well. He says, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Isn't it interesting? 
That blew me away because it, we often think it's for our sake. It's for, it's for my sake of my name. See, God, don't deal with me in front of my friends. Don't deal with me in, in front of my non-Christian friends, God, because then they'll, I'll be a bad witness. Don't deal with me like that, isn't it? No, no, no. It's not your sake. It's his sake. It's not your name he's protecting. It's his name he's protecting. It's his name that he's protecting. Now, let's look at Israel. Thank God for the Old Testament. When we look at the Old Testament, we see Israel. And in Israel, we see us. We see us. I think that is amazing. It, it totally it encourages me big time to know that, um, that God isn't going to give up on me. So, when God was with Israel in battle, with just a small number of soldiers, the victory was overwhelming in the disciples. Now, check this out, but when you read when Israel was up against it, overwhelming odds, and when we look at this with Gideon with 300 men, they had an overwhelming victory when God was with them. I just think that's amazing. Do you know what? Things haven't changed, even in the modern day of Israel. In the Six-Day War in 1967, Israel was outnumbered three to one. Three to one. I think that's amazing. And not only did they get a decisive victory in six days, but they trebled, Israel trebled her territory. She went from 20,000, 20, sorry, 20,500 square kilometres to 66,000 square kilometres in land space. Israel captured the entire Sinai Desert, including the Gaza Strip from, and from Egypt, and Judea and Samaria and half of Jerusalem from Jordan, and the Golan Heights from Syria. Isn't that amazing how God can do that? Now look at this. A West Point general once remarked that through the U.S. Military Academy studies, wars throughout the world, they do not study the Six-Day War. Because what concerns West Point is strategy and tactics, not miracles. Isn't that amazing? God is still the God of Israel. Can I hear an Amen. Amen. So, yet, in the Yom Kippur War of 1973, the Arab nations launched a surprise attack on the holiest day of the Jewish calendar, which was on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. All the Jews were heading off to the synagogue, and then all of a sudden there was a surprise attack. And the Jews copped heavy losses, even though that the war went for three weeks. They copped heavy losses. They won the war, but it was with a great... Now, the difference between the army of Yom Kippur War and back in 1967, in 1973 with the Yom Kippur War, their, their army was advanced. They had all the uh, tanks and, and all this thing. But their faith and their trust was in their own strength and not in the God of Yahweh. So it is with us. God will not allow us to enter into that which he has for us until we trust and rely upon his strength. Moses was preaching to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 7. And uh, Moses is preaching about 
how God is going to go and fight for you and he's going to bless them. Now, by the way, this is not the same Israelites that he brought out out of, the, out of Egypt, remember? Because the first generation grumbled and complained and God said, I'm fed up with you, you're all going to die in the desert. And, he ra- and it was the next generation. That's what Deuteronomy is. Deuto means second, onomos means law, second law. This was the second law that Moses gave to the Israelites. Deuteronomy is made up of three sermons where Moses preaches. He preaches. Deuteronomy is a book of preaching. So Deuteronomy is preaching to the Israelites. And let's take it up in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 17. He says, You may say to yourselves, These nations are stronger than we are. And you can hear the crowd going, Yeah, preach it, Moses. You know, Moses, you know that wasn't? He's a preacher. He's a preacher. You preach that white boy, you preach. <laughs> and Moses is going, But do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord did to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. Amen, brother, you preach that. You saw with your own eyes the great trials and miraculous signs and wonders, the mighty hand, mighty hand, and outstretched arm. With which the Lord had brought you out. Hallelujah, Moses. The Lord your God will do the same to all your peoples. You now fear. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among you. Amen. He is a preaching hell, heaven down and hell out the door. Do not be terrified by them, for the Lord your God who is among you is a great and awesome God. Amen. And then Moses says this, The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. What was it that preacher just said? Little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once or the wild animals will multiply around you. Isn't that interesting? The amens and the preacher at Moses gave way to the sound of... (laughs) Amen, preach it, Moses, preach it! Little by little. God made a very clear, a very important point. What was that? You're not going to be able to possess all that which God has for you in a matter of days. Right. It ain't going to happen. Listen to what he says, and this is amazing. This bloke, he says that you will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once, and this blows me away, or the wild animals will multiply around you. I think that's, that's a, an amazing statement. Now, here's the thing about the land of Israel, particularly in that stage, that the wild animals in the land of Canaan were predominantly lions, serpents, wolves, and bears. The wild animals, the ones that will get you. Now, this is an, uh, here's the thing about this, is that each of these animals is, can be used as an analogy of the devil. Lions... Satan prowls around like a roaring lion. Now, here's the thing about Canaan. See, back then, they had jungle all 
On the, the western side of the Jordan River, there was all jungle. All jungle. That's where the lions and the bears were. But when the Babylonians came, they have a scorched earth policy and they wiped out all of the jungles. They even killed all of the animals. That was the policy of the Babylonians. Destroy everything. Now, serpents, Revelation 22, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil. Wolves. Acts 20, 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Bears are a symbol of God's judgment in 2 Kings 2.24. Isn't this amazing? Now, God will not give it to you all at once. Why? Because the enemy, wild beasts, could potentially come in and steal it off you and become too numerous for you. And you See, God won't bring you into it until you grow into it. God won't bring you into it until you are mature enough to grow into it, until, you get that de- until you're developed enough to, to handle it. Now, we all know the stories of those people that win Lotto or Powerball. They win $10 million, and months later, what happens? They're broke. Why is that the case? <laughs> they don't know how to handle it. They don't have the personal the personal development and discipline and understanding to be able to cope with that amount of money. So this is why God... See, we say, Lord, bring me into it now, bring me into it now, bring me into it now. But God says, no, little by little, grow into it, grow into it. Now, God primarily tests us. Well, God primarily tested Israel in two ways. The first way that he did this was through famine or no, basically no rain. See, if Israel began to, you know, they're worshipping God, we love you, Yahweh, we love you, Yahweh, then they'd sneak off and worship their little idols. God would see that. And what he would do, he would prevent rain. He would prevent rain. And this was easy for God. Well, when you look at it, it was... In Israel, there's predominantly the, the western wind that comes off the Mediterranean and the hot eastern wind called in Arabic the Hamsin. The western wind is cooler because it comes off the Mediterranean, it hits the heat off the land, clouds form, rain comes. Now, if, God, if the Israelites were uh, disobedient, God was like, okay, you're going to be like that? That's fine. In comes the Hamsin, the hot, blistering wind. And a few weeks exposed to that, that wind and the vegetation dries up like that. Now, God can do that with us. Sometimes we find that there is, God, where's the, where's the provision? Where did it go? Where did it go? Where did it go, God? God says, are you listening to me? Come on, listen, listen, listen. Now, the next thing that God does is that he raises up foreign armies. <laughs> and he did this with Israel. Do you know that at the same time that God brought the... the um, the Israelites out of Egypt, that at the same time God brought the Philistines in from Crete. Amos talks about this in Amos chapter 9. At the same time the Israelites came up out of Egypt, in come the Philistines in from Crete. Isn't that amazing? See, God was already planning to keep Israel into check. This is amazing. Now, 
Why does God do this? Exodus 34, 14. Exodus 34, 14. Do not worship any other God for the Lord, whose name is what? Jealous. Jealous. Did you know that that was one of God's names? God, one of God's names is jealous. Now, there's a je- difference between jealous, jealousy and envy. Envy is, I want that guy's Lamborghini Gallardo. <laughs> That's envy. But if someone, and this is not the case, but if someone, heaven forbid, would run off with my wife, I would be jealous. You know the difference? Because he has something that belongs to me. He has something that belongs to me. That is the difference. Now, we get confused so often. But that is the difference. And God is jealous for you. He is jealous for you. Greatly jealous. Now, out of his faithfulness that God continually brought to Israel back to himself. Now, Israel will, run, will constantly run after foreign gods. We see that over and over and over. Now, let's look at Hosea chapter 13, verse 6. Now, this to me <laughs> sums up us as Christians. Let's be honest. Hosea chapter 13, verse 6. It, it is a cycle that, we're, that, we are, that we find ourselves in. Some of us are at different points in the cycle. Hosea 13.6, it says, When I fed them, they were satisfied. We know what it's like to God to feed us and for us to be satisfied. Amen. Bring on the blessing. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. (laughs) That's the circle. We look at the cycle of Israel's submission, complacency, disobedience, and repentance. And we see the same thing with us. It's the same thing with us. And there, comes, and there came a time with Israel when he, when he said, enough. And he had to deal with Israel severely. He took Israel, the, the, those two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel went into Assyria. Southern kingdom, Judah, went into Babylon. And... Um, God sent prophet after prophet after prophet, but Israel and Judah would not have any of it. Now, I want to talk about a prophet, a little-known prophet that not many people really get into. His name is Habakkuk. Fancy naming your son Habakkuk. I think Charles has got a better ring to it than Habakkuk. (laughs) Habakkuk. What's your name? Habakkuk. Right. (laughs) now Habakkuk had a complaint to God and this was his complaint God Israel is full of injustice and murder and and, um, bad stuff and what are you doing about it you're not doing anything about it I I watch it every day people stealing stuff and idolatry and God you're not doing anything about it I'm frustrated why can't you just give us a ruler who would bring about reform and change everything and things will get back and God please do something why aren't you doing something and God says I am doing something Habakkuk you are (laughs) what are you doing God says well I'm raising up the Babylonians God God 
God, God, Babylonians? You're raising up the Babylonians? Lord, you know, the Babylonians, they're, they're mean and they're cruel. They, 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 Lord, they destroy cities and they, they, they destroy the forests and kill the animals. And God, please, don't send the Babylonians. You wouldn't do that. Your eyes are too pure. That's what Habakkuk says. It's amazing because Habakkuk first says, God, you're not doing enough. And then God tells him what he's going to do. And God says, no, that's too much. You can't do that. But this was Habakkuk's complaint. Now, this is what I believe prophetically is happening in the world today. And this is another reason why we need to be prepared and we need to sharpen our sword and be ready to fight as Christians for the coming, what is coming upon the church in these last days. But I, but myself, and not but just, just not just but my, myself, but many other Bible teachers who, who um, speak in the areas of end times believe that God is going to address this world by raising up Islam. Islam. Now, this is very important for you to understand this, because already at the moment, Europe is almost under, um, my goodness, yeah, you could say they're under siege. At the moment, there is over 70 million Muslims in, in Europe. I'm not talking about Saudi Arabia, I'm talking about Europe. France, in particularly Paris, Paris, there is um, one in four is a Muslim in, in Paris at the moment. In um, England, it's even getting worse to the point that they have even appointed an Islamic political party in the House of Commons. Which means they believe that by the year 2025, they will have enough votes of a majority to vote in an Islamic party in England. Isn't that incredible? Now, this is all happening under our noses. Now, in Sydney, just down the road in Sydney... There are whole suburbs that are completely Muslim. Now, we were talking about this the other day. We are talking about, is it um, Rockdale? You had a, a friend down there, and he was harassed and, and bullied by these Muslims asking him to sell his home. And eventually he gave in and sold his home. And even Rockdale, it's hard for me, I'm a St. George supporter, Rockdale. But this is what is happening this is what is happening in, in our city and also in Melbourne. And not just... In, but in every Western nation, Islam is getting a foothold. And this is something that I believe God is direct, God is raising them up. See, we find it hard. We think, God, if you're going to bring... Can't you just bring revival and things will be fantastic? God says, no, I am raising up an enemy. Now, here's the thing. When the church is persecuted... It experiences its greatest revivals it's ever known. The church flourishes under persecution. And there will be a, a, a late great harvest. But it won't be under... It, it's not going to be roses and daisies and, and peace and, hey, let's get in the river. No, it's going to be under persecution. But there will be great, great blessing as a result. Now, let's move on. How do we fight? My favorite movie of all time is Braveheart. 
I love Braveheart. I love William Wallace. I love the speech. The speech inspires me. If I want to get fired up, bring on the speech. He says, they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. And I'll go, yeah, where's the blue face paint? <laughs> I love it. But then you know, you don't really notice this bit, but straight after he says that, it cuts to these two guys. And the one guy says the other one, Great speech, but what do we do now? (laughs) I believe that's the same with us. See, stirring ourselves up is not enough. Getting passionate is not enough. Stirring up the warrior, yeah! Not enough. What do we do now? What do we do now? I believe a big step is to get a vision. Now, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. I like the NIV. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Now, understand this. An athlete, does, an athlete puts restraints upon themselves. Why? Because they have a revelation of themselves receiving a gold medal. They imagine themselves standing on that podium, gold medal, seeing the flag go up, advance Australia fair. They put constraints upon themselves. They get up at five o'clock in the morning. Why? Because they have a vision. They have a revelation. Now, here's the thing. A lot of you have lost fervor. You've lost desire. Some of you are lost focus and you're even distracted. Why? Because you've lost sight of that vision. You need to get that back. For some of you, it's a little bit blurry at the moment, but you can get that back. Once you get that vision for your life, guess what? You'll put restraints on yourself. I'm going to that prayer meeting on 7 o'clock on Fridays. Bring it on! When you get that vision, things change. Things become clear. You have a goal, and guess what? You will be passionate to reach it. That's why when you... None of, us will be, none of us will be envious of one another in regards to calling or giftings. When you get a revelation for your own destiny that God has given you, you'll be like, yes! I'm going to get that thing. And you'll discipline yourself to do it. Next, die to self. In the TV miniseries, Band of Brothers. Who loves Band of Brothers? I'm a fan. Lieutenant Ronald Spears, my hero says to one of the men under his command, now this guy was in a a foxhole having a panic attack, freaking out. Here comes Lieutenant Ronald Spears, you know, like the smoke, looking down at this guy, freaking out in in the foxhole. And he says this. He says, the only hope you have is to accept the fact you're already dead. The sooner you accept that, sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier is supposed to function. All war depends on it. I thought, oh yeah. You know what? It is so true. Jesus said, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. 
We're going to die to ourselves, friends. You don't see a dead person embarrassed. (laughs) Dead people don't care. They're dead. Okay, number three. Don't look at your weaknesses and incapabilities. Gideon was from the weakest tribe of Israel and within that tribe he was from the weakest clan and within that clan he was from the weakest family. He was weak. Now, when the angel of the Lord appeared to him, he was cowering, he was threshing wheat in a wine press. What does God say to him? You weak little pathetic thing, you. He says, Gideon, a mighty man of valor. Wow, that makes me feel good. You mighty men of valor, he says to Gideon. God says that the same to you. If you think you're weak, if, you're in, if you think you're, you, you don't count for nothing, guess what? You qualify for great things for God. In Daniel it says, those that know their God do great exploits for him. Amen. Next one, stay in fellowship. Hebrews 10.25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Proverbs 18.1, I love this. The man who isolates himself seeks his own desires. He rages against all wise counsel. Don't isolate yourself. A lion will pick up will pick off a springbok or a gazelle when it looks for the weak one that isolates itself from the flock. Now, here's another thing. Quickly, uh, Deuteronomy 25, 17 18. I love this. Deuteronomy 25, 17 18. This is what Moses says. He says, Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. What did they do? When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. I think that is very significant. Don't lag. There is safety in numbers. Five understand times. Romans 13, 11. And do this, understand the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. We got, now, this is one of the things I love about this church. This church is a prophetic church. We're understanding, we're on the pulse with what is happening at the moment. In Revelation, it says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is what this church is doing, and I thank God for that. Number six, draw near to God. James 4, 7, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. We've got to submit to God. At the end of the day, if you're going to, be, if you're going to stir up that warrior within you, you have to be submit, submissive to God. And my last scripture, and if I could have the band up, that will be fantastic. Exodus chapter 33, verses 10 to 11. Now, there, there are two beautiful pictures here in this scripture. Two beautiful pictures of intimacy. First one with Moses, the second one with Joshua. Let's read this. It says, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped. Wow, just imagine that. I just want you to picture yourself being there. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and they worshipped. 
each at the entrance to his tent. Now, verse 11. The Lord would speak with Moses face to face. Did you hear that? Face to face. As a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. You see, Moses speaking with God face to face. Then Moses would return back to the camp, and you know what? Joshua, he'd just be standing there like this at the tent, soaking up the presence of God. That's what we need to do. In his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. In his presence, no enemy can taunt you. No sickness can can unsettle you. In his presence, fear cannot touch you. In 1 John, it says, perfect love casts out all fear in his presence. Now, some of you might need to respond this morning in in regard to where you are at. Some of you, you have let the enemy taunt you for long enough. And you know that enough is enough. And you're going to put your foot down say enough I am a child of the most high God if God is for me then who can be against me you need to put on the helmet of salvation that breastplate of righteousness the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit and start declaring to your circumstances greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world You watch out, devil. Here I come. Jesus says in the book of Luke, for you shall overcome snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. It doesn't say some of the power of the enemy. It says all the power of the enemy. Yeah. So let's all stand. For others of you, you need to repent because you've been complacent. And you know that you have let the enemy ride over your heads. We need to come before God and say, Lord, forgive us. Have mercy. Wash away my sin. Lord, help me to be that warrior that you want me to be help me to get that help me to get that face paint on Lord God in the spirit and to declare to blow the trumpet and to go to war whatever it may be some of you you need to go to war some of you you need to go to war for your spouse has come and brought in division and you need to go to war for your spouse some of you it's your finances you need to go to war don't allow the devil to steal from you any longer
mind. Now, if any of you guys want to respond in any one of those areas, you need to repent. You need to reject complacency. You need to come to God and allow Him to change you to be that warrior. Put up your hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, you see these hands. Father, anoint them. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you put the Holy Spirit upon them. The Ruach HaKodesh upon them in the name of Jesus. Fill them, Lord God, with boldness, Lord God. The spirit of an overcomer in the name of Jesus. Whatever circumstances they are facing, Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus that they will be full of the Spirit of God to overcome that situation in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Some of you, you've never made the decision to completely surrender all to Jesus. You've been playing games with God and God says, enough with the games. Come to me. Come to me. If that's you and you want to say, enough is enough, I'm giving my life to Jesus. Let's just stick up your hand right now. Stick up your head right now. Okay. Thank you, God. Bless you, Lord.